for me, we grew up uh, not too far from here, actually in, uh, in Conroe. And it's kind of funny, I was thinking back on things, and uh, we actually came, the youth group I was in, came to a couple events here. I think the sanctuary was a little different at the time, but uh, that tells you how long this has been here. So grew up there, went off to college, I studied business like Scott said, and really worked uh, with a lot of organizations on how to improve their systems and processes, so that's kind of what I do. I, I like to tweak things. I like to find a way to make things better. You know, I, I, it's, it's a family trait, I think, um, because it runs in, all, in most of my family. Just If there's a way to do it a little bit better, I'm trying to find it. But, you know, if you look at things, that's only half the story. So I think this, people you may recognize, that's the, uh, the Stahl family. I think that was their first day at Generations Church, I think. Maybe it was a week or two later. Um, but 11 years ago, Steph and I got married. And she's the little cute one in the middle. So, and I guess a lot of you guys came along with that for me. So today, that makes all of you guys my in-laws. And I couldn't ask for a better set of in-laws than the ones I have. But if you look at things, it's interesting to see what happens with a little bit of time. So God turned those two small groups into something a little bit larger. In the picture, you've got three school administrators, you've got two insurance agents, you've got two children's counselors, two engineers, a buyer, an architect, a financial advisor, and oh, by the way, about 10 grandkids. It's just amazing what God will see through your life when you turn it over to him. And I believe that that's one thing that both of these families have in common. Just really turned it over and said, God, we don't know what to do, but you do, and take it from there. So that's enough about me. You know, prayer's always a good place to start, as Paxton said earlier, so that's where I'm going to do. Dear God, thank you for loving us. Empty us of ourselves and fill us with more of you. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, for those of you that do know me a little bit, know that passion really isn't a word that would be used to describe me. I'm about as even keel as you get. But when we, talk about passion, when we talk about this particular topic, it's something I can get excited about. It's something that really burns within me. Check this out.
Are we willing to change the world? It's a funny question and has such an obvious answer. We'd all say, absolutely, I'm willing to change the world. That's what I'm all about. That's what I want to do. And if it's such an easy answer, then why haven't we done it? Why isn't the world any different around us than what it was before? What are we doing to move closer to that goal? Why haven't we seen it? I believe there are a couple of reasons, but I think first it starts with a dream. Turn to Jeremiah 29.11. We'll come back to that in a few minutes. Like I said, I think you've got to start with a dream. It starts with an idea. For some of you, that isn't your own dream, right? You're not living your dream. You're living the dream that your parents may have had for you. Or maybe it was a pastor. Or maybe worse, you don't have one at all. You're kind of just wandering around trying to find your way. Today, I hope to inspire you to find that dream, to believe that you can do it, and to so believe it, to believe that you can change the world with it, or at least change the world of the people right around you. You know, getting to know this, if for no other reason, it has a lot of benefits to the people around you, but it also has a benefit to the next generation, to your kids and grandkids. Today we're going to be taking a look at it. We're going to do it kind of Mythbuster style. We're going to look at a couple of different myths around this power of a dream. So here we go. Myth number one, God only gives super spiritual dreams. Or said differently, if it's not a super spiritual dream, then that can't be from God. You know, Sometimes we look at the super spiritual dreams and we think they have to come with a bright light, an audible voice, earthquake, something in order to tell us which way we need to go with our life. But I don't think so. I think it comes in a little different way. I think it comes in a desire, things we call a goal maybe, a gift, a nudge, a calling, things that you just can't shake. You forget about it from time to time. You try to lose it but it keeps coming back. And as much as you try to run from it, it seems to chase you down. It's really one of the core things that makes us human. The question really is, why was I put on earth? Why am I here in the first place? What if the dream, that dream that God placed in your heart was just for you to achieve? What would that look like? Let's look at Jeremiah. Jeremiah puts it this way. He says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. You know, on the surface, this doesn't sound like such a super spiritual dream. He's talking about the plans that he's given for you. It's of hope and future. You know, if your calling is to be the next Mother Teresa, please pursue it with all you've got. Grab it and run. But for many of us, that's, that's really not the case. And I want to tell you this morning, it's okay. It's okay. What is in your heart was given for you. A lot of ours, it's right here and right now in the, in the group around us. You know, one of the interesting things about me, too, is I love history. I love looking at things and wondering, well, what if it would have been a little bit different? You know, would, would the country be what it is today if Washington hadn't been able to get across the Potomac? You know, what if that would have been slightly different? 
what would the world have been like? You know, I was thinking about that in this context. And, and somebody came to mind, and what if I told you that the man most responsible for changing our own outlook and bringing a personal relationship with God into everybody's home what, had never preached a sermon, or at least that we know of. He was an ordinary man who had a dream. A dream that he believed God gave to him. If you look at it, his name's Gutenberg. He was an inventor, but really what he was was a printer. He invented something that we call the printing press. Now, on the surface, this doesn't sound like something that's super spiritual, but God used it to spread his word throughout all the world in a way that nobody had done before, and really nothing since has done it. You know, you see that in the time that Gutenberg lived in the 1400s, Bibles were super expensive. And they were super expensive because they weren't printed. They were handwritten. So what you would have had to do, I mean, just think about it. It takes us on a really ambitious year. You get this read through the Bible in a year. Imagine if you had to write that thing down. For me, it would take a lifetime. So, so people didn't have these things all the time. It was really, if you were lucky, it was in certain churches, and the priest would have it. And they would keep it in a super special place because it was so valuable. And if you lived in a really rich family or were a part of that household, you might see one placed somewhere in the house. And occasionally, if you were lucky, maybe after dinner sometime, that would get pulled out and they'd read a short scripture out of it. But that was the extent that you interacted with the Bible. You really had to listen through it from somebody else. The priest would tell you what he thought and his interpretation of it, or you just read out of it in the readings that would go on in church. But there was no individual Bible reading. You didn't get up early. You didn't stay up a little bit late and, and read through the Bible. You know, we look at it as one of the ways that God speaks to us today. Well, in Gutenberg's time, you couldn't do that. You, you really had no understanding of what God was actually speaking through his word to you. So this took a whole idea of personal relationship with God to a different level. People could read and study for themselves for the first time. And it so changed the world that, you know, you hear the different versions of the Bible. Well, there's actually a Gutenberg Bible. I think there's one in the Library of Congress. And, and it's put out there as one of the things that totally revolutionized the world. You know, one time in Gutenberg's life, he was accused of, of just going after financial gain. I, I think people missed it. They didn't really understand what God had in store. God had something different in mind. He had an idea that he put in Gutenberg's heart and gave him the ability to do it that literally changed the world. So, what is your dream? I believe dreams come from God. And this is the hard thing about it. Nobody can tell you what that dream is. I mean, there's a lot of people that will claim to, right? You have fortune tellers, you have this, you have that, you have people coming to you, and people are searching for it, but they don't know what it is. I think it comes from God. And no one else can answer it. So how do we find it? You know, it's funny, in Jeremiah, if we keep reading on, he says, then you will call to me and come and pray. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. And when you seek me with all of your heart. 
God says that we'll seek him of all of heart. He'll show us the plans that he has for us. This is really hard. You know, we all want the bright lights, the flashing symbol. We want that thing to knock us off and really tell us what it is. But that doesn't happen to most of us. And to me, I believe the bright lights and the flashing, flashing noise is, is just what God uses for those that are hard of hearing. You know, he knows that there's some of us that we're never going to get into the conversation unless that happens. You know, the way I think that God speaks is he starts in the still, small voice. And then he gets a little bit louder and a little bit louder and a little bit louder until, bam, he does something that you just can't recognize as anything other than what God had for you. Think about it. You probably did something like this this week. So, you know, let's say that you were in the car or maybe you're in the house and the kids are playing in the other room. Right, so things are getting a little bit loud. What do you do? You open the door, and in your best best church lady, quiet voice, because you've been working on your patience, you say, guys, guys, would you please keep it down? I'm trying to do something next door, and I'd really love it if you did. I'm not sure that they even could hear you as soft as you're speaking, but you do it, right? Close the door. You expect that's going to do it. You no sooner get down that hallway than they're twice as loud as they were before. So what do you do? All right, well, that didn't work, so we're going back in. Maybe they didn't hear me this time. Guys, you probably didn't hear me, but, you know, can you keep it down, trying to read? It would be better. That's going to solve it. So what do you do? Close the door. Gets louder. Always gets louder. I don't know why. (laughs) This time you come back and you said, well, let me put a threat with it or let me put a little more oomph with it. Guys, if you don't be quiet, you're going to be sorry. We never tell them what that is. We just tell them they're going to be sorry because, honestly, we haven't thought of that yet. (laughs) He closed the door, and it gets louder. Now, for some of us, we stop right there. All right, they won. I'm going to go in the other room. I'm going to go outside. I'm going to do something else. But there's a few of us, and I'm one of them, that's going to be heard. They are going to be heard. So I come back in there, and I fling the door open. And if I could send a legion of angels, bring a bright light and blind them all or shut them all up, I'd do it. But the only thing I've got is my voice. So what do you do? At a probably top of your lungs, quiet! You just scream it. And now even the dog's looking at you like, what do you want? And then for me, you take the volume down a little bit, and you go, well, now that I have your attention... Let's talk. Right? I think that's what God's doing a lot of times with that voice. You know, for Paul, it took a bright light, and it blinded him for a couple of days, really made him to where all he could do was listen. But I like another story that was actually in the Old Testament a little bit better. It's a guy named Balaam. Some of you have heard it. So Balaam was a guy that um, he was particularly hard-headed, Because it took a long conversation between him and his donkey to figure it out. Now, most people would have heard, hey, the donkey tell him one thing, and he'd be done with it. This guy, you got to go back and read it. He had a long conversation with him. (laughs) I'm not sure why that didn't freak him out, but it didn't. To me, if the dog said two words to me, I'm done. (laughs) But he was a bit hard-headed. For most of us, the flashing light... 
We want the flashing light. We want that point to go back to and say, that's exactly when it happened. I remember when I was blind for three days. I remember when the donkey talked to me. I remember all these things. But for most of us, that just doesn't happen. You know, I started thinking about, well, why is that? Well, because God starts with the still, small voice. He starts with that dream. And if we're already having the conversation with him, he doesn't need to yell. We're already there. So we just continue on with it. You know, just some tips and things on, on how do you find this. You know, I find it's, it's something that we're always looking for that would redefine our life or, or show us something different. But it's, it's the thing that makes us special. So if you're looking for it, some things to look out for would be, what are you passionate about? What do you feel that you need to get involved with? Heard one preacher one time say, what breaks your heart? Go look for those things. It's usually a good place to start to find it. Usually it's something that if you pay attention long enough to it, it'll be something that God will use to change your life for forever. And when he changes your life for forever, it won't be to give you glory for it. It'll be to give him glory. If you find those things, you're probably in the right neighborhood. You know, one of the best examples of this that, that, uh, that came to mind for me was a guy named Eric Little. Eric gave his life to be a missionary in China. But he had another mission before that. Yeah, check this out. It says in the old book, he that honors me, I will honor. Good luck. Jackson Shows. So where does the power come from? to see the race to its end from within. I believe God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. This was a clip from the movie Chariots of Fire. It won Best Picture in 1982. This was the scene with Eric winning the 400. He won the gold medal in the 1924 Olympics in Paris. And and it's funny because of the, the event he wasn't even supposed to be in. He wasn't supposed to be there. He wasn't supposed to do well. 
God honored him, and look at what happened. It's a great movie because it has a lot of different pieces to it. It has the contrast of somebody following God and somebody trying to figure it out on their own. But one of the other subplots that it has in it in the movie is, is Eric's trying to convince his sister Jenny and get her to understand what God created him for. And, and she doesn't understand. You see, Eric was born in China to a, missionary, to a Scottish missionary family. His brother and two sisters were both missionaries. She didn't understand how Eric's dream was more important than him becoming a missionary. But Eric understood it was a gift from God. He'd later say that when he ran, he felt God's pleasure. And if he did not run, it would have been to hold God in contempt. He understood, in his mind, he had no other choice than to do what God had called him to do. There's just no other way. Many people think that following Christ means giving up everything. I find it a little different. I look at it as, as following Christ is finding the thing that you were exactly created for and running with it with all of your heart to try to make it happen with God. And tell me that's not worth finding. I mean, you can just look at the pure joy on Eric's face, and, and you get that. So it's amazing. There's nothing better than finding what God had created for you. But where does that desire come from? I believe it comes from God. And you knew it when you were a kid, but what happened? Did he get buried in life? Did you find it along the way? Maybe not. For some of us, you knew what it was, but you lost it. For others of us, you know exactly what it is, and you're running from it. Imagine if you took the effort that you spend daily running from that thing that you're called to do and put it towards doing it. What would the world look like around you? You know, if you just look at it, what, what has God placed you here to do? I want you to think about that. There's probably something coming to mind for you. Hold on to that for a few minutes. So sometimes you find this goal, you find this idea, and it starts with a small step. And he shows you the next step and the next step, and you go, hey, I got this. But eventually it gets big. Now, for some of you, it also worked the other way, that you saw the end pretty quickly and said, hey, I can't take that first step because that's a pretty big one. But eventually it gets so big that you look at it and say, I can't do that. I can't do that on my own. It's too hard. Turn to Philippians 4.13. This has always been my favorite scripture verse since as far back as I can remember it. As a kid, I loved it. And if you can teach one thing to your kids after you teach them salvation, teach them this. And the best way for them to learn something is for you to get it and teach it by your example. It's pretty simple. It just says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's it. I can do all things. Again, what would the world look like if we actually believed this? You believe it for your kids, right? When they're young, you're telling them, hey, you can do anything. You can be that, whatever you want to be, whatever you want to do. 
We don't believe it for ourselves. You know, for me, it's like looking at it this way and saying, God, you know me inside and out. You created me. But I can't, but I know myself better. I, I know that, that I can't do that. I know what I'm made of, and it's not that. You know, God, thanks, but no thanks. I can't make it. You know, this is where it's important to have others in our life. Other people can see things in you that you can't see. They can see the gifts that God's given you, and they can see the world a little bit different than you can. And you can do that for others, too. When you have the opportunity to sit with somebody and share those dreams back and forth, there's nothing better than helping somebody else find their goal. And what you'll find is along, them, along helping them, you'll help yourself to where you want to be too. Just funny how that works. Allow yourself to dream again. Find somebody and tell them. It's something about it, when you speak it out loud, it becomes real. And then when it becomes real, you know you got to do something with it. Now imagine if we got a group of people that did that. Maybe you got three or four. Maybe your family started doing that. And then imagine what would happen if the church started doing that. The church started believing that they can do, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Hmm. Imagine what the world would look like around you. For some of you today, that all sounds good. And maybe you believed it at one time. But not anymore. You knew what God had called you to. Maybe you tried it and you failed. Now what? Now what do I do? What happens when you come up short? When you don't make it? Really for any reason. What happens then? Maybe you come up short in your career. Maybe you flunked out of school. Maybe you got burned by somebody at church. Or even worse, maybe you know you blew it and you sinned. You know, when you yelled at the person that you've been trying to get to come to church for months and you just lost it and yelled at them? Or when you, when you gave in to gossip and tore a friend down? Or when you let, let a relationship go too far? Now what? What do I do? It's been my experience that when that happens, that's the absolute least likely point that I believe I can do anything for God. When that happens to me, I just feel like total failure. I said, God, how can you expect to, to do what you've called me to do? I can't even get this right. You're wanting me to run, and I can't walk. Let's take the biggest one first. Let's talk about sin. So let's say you've been trucking along. Things are going well. You know what that dream is. You know what that goal is. You're on track. And then out of the blue, it seems something happens, and you fall you get sidetracked. You feel like you just set yourself back spiritually two generations. And at times for me, I'm wondering, God, if I'm going to do that, why'd you even save me? I, I, I just can't get over this. I want to give you some hope today. You know, in Romans, Paul actually addresses this. He says that all have sinned. All have sinned. For me, this is very reassuring. He's basically saying, get over it. Just get over it. Confess your sin, 
You know, the, the scriptures tell us to confess our sin, to ask for forgiveness, to get whatever it is out of our life that's caused it, and to move on. You don't get a red badge of courage. You're not a lost cause. It doesn't make you special. What God put in your heart, that's what makes you special. This is just a hurdle, just something you're going to get over. There's too much work to be done for you to carry around this burden. I am convinced that if we stop carrying around the luggage of our past regrets that we've been forgiven for, then we'd start seeing all the missed opportunities to help others. Why do we burden ourselves with these things? I mean, just declutter. Get rid of the extra weight. You can't accomplish what God has called you to do if you're carrying around all that other garbage. You just can't. Why are you making it harder on yourself? You know, if I'm looking for examples of this, one of the greatest examples to me is pretty obvious. It's actually King David. So if you look at it, he was in the Old Testament. And his life... It seems to repeat itself. It's, you know, one great vision followed by a mistake, followed by repentance, followed by redemption, followed by another mistake. But the one thing he doesn't seem to do is he doesn't seem to carry that baggage. And I know for me, I would have a hard time with it. I mean, there are things in his life that happen that I don't know that I'd ever get over. And for you, come on, Only a handful of people may ever know about that. How would you like your life and your worst day recorded in the most read book in all of history as the central figure? I mean, come on, he didn't seem to to drag it around. Why should you? You know, an important note here, just an aside, is it's just as important that you allow God to forgive you and you forgive yourself than for you to forgive others. Pastor did a great job of talking about that a few weeks ago. Um, and if you've missed it, go back a couple of weeks on the podcast. He talks about forgiveness. So now that we've got that one out of the way, you know, let's talk about some other, maybe less harmful failures. Still failures nonetheless. So let's say that you knew exactly what God had called you to do. You knew it, you know it, and you went and did it. And nobody showed up. I think a lot of churches start that way sometimes. You got stage fright. Everyone left. Maybe you had two people that showed up and they were gone before you were done. This is the absolute worst day of your life. And, and you're just questioning things. You're going, hey. And then you go and tell somebody, because nobody's left in the room, you go and tell somebody about it, and they're trying to give you some quote by Thomas Edison on how... if. He hadn't pushed through all of his time. We would all be sitting in the dark somewhere. Come on. We've all done this. I've done it. I've had the speech given to me, and I've given the speech. Does it help? In the moment, no. To me, that's just pointing somebody out that got it right that I didn't even think of. He somehow figured out how to get it right, and I can't. Thanks. That's not very reassuring. I don't think Thomas Edison actually had this quote right in the middle of his trials. I think he had it at the end. 
So what's the difference? Well, it's perspective. It's where you're sitting. When you've already gone through it, you can have a different perspective. And I think when God's looking down on us, he has a totally different perspective on things. How many of you have ever taught a child how to do something? Maybe ride a bike. I remember when we were teaching uh, our girls how to ride a bike, it was, uh, you knew how it was going to go, right? So you put them on the bike, you start them off, they're a little bit wobbly. It's amazing, with training wheels, they're perfect, never even skid them. You take those things off, and all of a sudden it's a new thing. But they get up to speed, and you know what's coming. Bam, they've bit it. Usually the first couple ones, it's just kind of laying it over softly. A little tears, maybe a little scraped knee, but you get them back up. Do you ever stop to think that that kid's a failure and that they're never going to get it? No. You expect them to be a little wobbly. You expect things to be a little bit unsure. And I think that's the way God looks at us. He just knows that it's one more step closer to getting where he's called us to do. Gotten that one thing out of the way, you, you learned that, now you get on to the next thing. So what do you do? You get them back up on the bike, push them out again. And this time they took off. They're doing really well. I mean, they're down the street. But I remember our street, if you look at it, it's really long on this one stretch, but eventually there's a turn, right? And oh, about three-quarters of the way down, you realize, they don't know how to turn. <laughs> and sure enough, I mean, I can picture it. The cul-de-sac ends, the road turns, right into the curb. And they did really well. So what's the thing? You hear screaming, you're taken off. And you're remembering how old you are, how to shape you are, because halfway down, it's taking you forever, and they're still screaming. So now neighbors are coming out. I mean, and there's a good half dozen homes in between you and the end of the street. They're all wondering, you know, who's trying to abduct a kid? What happened? And you get down there, no, it's okay. They just, they just fell off the bike. But when you get there, what are they doing? Once you untangle them, because they've somehow mangled themselves around that bike, that you get them away, they don't want anything to do with that bike. Man, you can take that thing, you can sell it, you can put it behind the car. They have five friends along the way that are going to get that bike. It's not coming back. And they're not pushing it back. So what are you doing? You're pushing that thing back. You know, and maybe there's a little collateral damage. Because coming down that street, there were a couple parked cars along the way. (laughs) And for some reason, they hit every one of them. It looked like pinball. Just one side to the other to the other. I guess it's a good thing they were there because they'd have fallen over. But now you're having to go back and stop at each of your neighbor's house and explain why there's a dent right about the handlebar height of that that thing on there. They made a mess. Still, you're not looking at them if they failed. What are you doing? Oh, they don't want anything to do with that bike. So you put it away for a little while, you know, just so they think they got rid of it. But you come back to it. What are you doing? A couple days later... It's a still, small voice. Hey, let's go try that again. I know for one of mine, it was was always tomorrow. Yeah, I'm going to try that tomorrow. Yeah, Dad, that's a really good idea. We're going to do that tomorrow. One of them just out and out said no. The other said, well, tomorrow. So I had a little hope. But what happened? You started working on them. And for me, I bribed them with ice cream. 
Seems to work pretty good in my family. Hey, if we just try it one more time, when we're done, whatever happens, we're going to go get some ice cream. And you get them on that bike. And this time they take off. I mean, they're flying. They don't look back. For some reason, they figured out how to turn. They're doing donuts in the cul-de-sac. You're wondering what the heck happened. These, a couple of days ago, they just fell off, and now they're winning the Tour de France. And I love hearing the story when they come back and they tell it to somebody else. Are they telling about the time when they hit the curb? Are they telling about any of that? No. You would think that they were the natural. They got out there, jumped on that bike, and they were gone. Again, it's looking at perspective. Perspective does a lot to the story. And we're not that much different, really. You know, if you start to look at things, we're the same way. And I believe if we could look at ourselves a little bit different, maybe look at the way God looks at us. He loves us. He wants to do amazing things with our life. If we'll just work with him on it. If we'll just listen to that still, small voice. Be amazing that what can happen. When I ask the prayer partners to come up, For many of us, we may fall in a couple of categories today. You don't know, you may not know what God has for your life. You may not have a dream. You may not have a desire. But this morning you might be looking at it and saying, hey, you mean I can do this with God? It'd be amazing. Or maybe you knew what it was, but it's too big. It's way too big. And I can't do it on my own. I can't do that. Or maybe you lost it. Maybe when you were younger, you knew what it was, but you've forgotten it. It's buried somewhere. You try not to bring it up. You know, we have a saying around here that no one walks alone. It's amazing. If any of these describe you this morning, talk to somebody, find a friend. You know, Scott was talking about home lives. It's a great place to start that. You meet some people, you talk to them, you share your story, you hear theirs. People encourage each other every week on how to be different than when they came. You know, the people up here, they'd love to pray with you as well. They'd love to talk with you and pray with you. If there's anything that you need, please come up and pray. You know, it's another thing we hear around here all the time. It's things are never the same when we pray. Don't leave the same way you came. Get some, get some, find somebody to talk to. Let's pray. God, you've given us our own special way to change the world around us. Help us to find what you have in store for us. Help us to seek you with everything we have. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys.